How would you define sin? No, really, take a moment to consider this. What is the basis of your answer? Is it doing something bad? Is it separation from God? Is it what Google describes as an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law? When George and I were brainstorming and preparing this series of episodes on inner healing, George proposed this question to me in an email. Part of me thought, oh, I know this one. And then part of me knew that George's answer would be profound or somehow surprising. And it was. His definition was simple. The essence of sin is self-will. Human persons were created by God to live 24-7 in His presence, living life in harmony with how He created us to function. But we decided we knew better and chose to go our own way. This leads to damaging crashes with reality. So, in today's episode, we're going to consider these damaging crashes with reality. When sin invades our young minds, bodies, and souls, how do we find healing as adults? You're listening to The Writing Room, a podcast created by Quellen International to share the words and teachings of George Miley. What we're talking about in this session is the reality that when there is inner wounding in us, that inner wounding can block our maturing. So if we think of a person, for example, like the fingers on our hands, and there are various aspects of the person, and so as we grow older physically, we're maturing, let's say, in this area, we're maturing in this area, but somehow in this area we're blocked. Our maturing is blocked. We're not maturing in that area. And so what happens when there is that blockage is that there is wounding that is preventing us from maturing into wholeness. And when that wounding is not healed, we enter adulthood with childish characteristics. It doesn't mean all of our characteristics are childish, but we have childish characteristics. And that can be true of people in their 20s. And it can be true of people in their 30s. And it can be true of people in their 50s. And it can be true of people in their 80s who have been grown officially for 20 years and yet still exhibited childish behavior. So how can we understand that? And what is God's way of healing? So a couple of things just to set the stage for us. We've got seven points here that we want to work through between now and when our time is over. The first point is God created mankind very good. So this is so crucial for our health. Self-hatred further wounds us. Self-hatred comes from wounding and further wounds us. Self-hatred is an incorrect understanding of reality. 
God created you and he created me and he looked at us and he said, behold, they are very good. So we are created by God in his image. So God gives us extreme value. So when we say I'm no good or somebody else is no good, that's not God's evaluation of us. God's evaluation is you are a magnificent being. I created you in my own likeness. Now, having been created in God's likeness, we are created to live in a community of love. We're created for that. The Trinity is a community of love. It's a beautiful thing to study. The Father loves the Son. The Father and the Son love the Spirit. The Spirit brings glory to Jesus. He doesn't want glory for himself. The Father has given all honor into Jesus' hand. Jesus also only does that which pleases the Father. And so we see in the Trinity this beautiful mutual love, mutual submission for one another. You and I were created to be a part of that, not a part of the Trinity, but a part of the communion of the Trinity. The Trinity wants our communion. He wants our fellowship, wants our relationship. We're created for that. But we're also created in the image of God with the capacity to choose. So the question comes, where did evil come from? Well, evil came from man's freedom. If we didn't have freedom, we wouldn't be like God. So God created us with the capacity to choose good and evil. And our first parents chose evil, and so did we. So we rejected God-centeredness and chose self-centeredness. Now, this is the foundation of sin. So here are Adam and Eve in the garden. They're God-centered. They're naked, but they're not aware that they're naked. They're not aware of evil. They're not aware of anything other than what is it like to live in God's presence. They don't know shame. So 24-7, presence of God. The time came, Genesis 3, when they made the disastrous decision to push back from God and make their own way. They thought they knew better. So did I. I thought I knew better. I pushed back from God. I made my own decisions and I went from God-centeredness to self-centeredness. Now that choice severed the one relationship that is indispensable for my well-being, and that is the relationship with my father. I'm created to live 24-7 with my father in the presence of God. Self-centeredness severed that relationship. It left me guilty, but it not only left me guilty, it left me damaged. Sin damages. Guilt and damaged left me lost. So what does it mean to be lost? It means we can't find our way back to where we belong. Where do we belong? With our Father. We can't find the way back. Sin and guilt and wounding damage us so much, can't find our way. Now, point number three. On the cross, Jesus made provision for our deliverance. So what happened on the cross? Technically speaking, Jesus did not take away sin. Jesus made provision for our sin to be taken away. Jesus didn't take away my guilt. He made provision for my guilt to be taken away. Jesus didn't heal me. He made provision for my healing. So on the cross, Jesus made provision for our deliverance. That's what the word salvation means. It means to be delivered. The picture is Israel coming out of Egypt. They were delivered. God saved them from Egypt. 
So that's what happened on the cross. Our guilt was removed. God made provision for our wounds to be healed, for the destructive power of sin and our behavior to be broken. So what is our problem with sin? A little bit of what we were talking about this morning. What is our problem with sin? Our problem is not just the guilt, but sin has become embedded in our behavior. And sin has power in my behavior. So the good that I want to do, I don't do. The evil that I don't want to do, I do do. Why does that happen? Sin, the power of sin in my behavior. Jesus made provision on the cross for that power to be broken. This is what discipleship is all about. We are responsible, point four, to access this provision. The provision is there. Now we must access it. That involves our choices. The same capacity within us that chose evil must choose to access the provision that Jesus made for us. How do we access it? By faith. We access it by faith. We choose to rely upon Jesus. Why does it, why does it always have to be by faith? Well, because God lives in the non-material world. God lives in the unseen world. We can't touch God. We can't hear God. I mean, he can make himself touchable or hearable anytime he wants to. He's God. But his normal state is that he's not accessible to our physical senses. He's here. Jesus is here in this room right now. The Father is here in this room right now. The Spirit is here in this room right now. But we can't touch them. We can't see them. How do we access them? We rely upon them. And as we rely upon them, we experience, by golly, they are there. And they work. And they heal. We don't understand their ways at first. It takes time to understand their ways. But we learn to access them by faith and also by obedience. Biblical faith works through obedience. So if you say, well, I want to have faith, but I don't want to obey, then you don't want biblical faith, and that's not what Jesus is offering. It is faith or relying upon that results in obedience. I, I obey that which I'm relying upon. Jesus teaches us how this is what discipleship is all about. So now we're to point number five. Inner wounding caused by sin, mine and those around me, blocks maturing. Now, I don't know, it just comes to me. I want to tell you a story about my father. And before I tell you this story, I want to tell you that I really, really appreciate my father. I got a lot from my dad. I'm very thankful for him. My dad was a wounded soul. I don't know what wounded him. But he was a rageaholic, unable to come free from the rage that formed him. And his rage hindered him his whole life. I remember a, a case. I was a late teenager, and I, I remember that. I remember the scene. My dad was sitting in his chair, and I was standing by the steps in our home. And my dad said to me, I'm trying to insult you, and you're too stupid to be insulted. That's what my father said to me. Now, at the time, I don't remember feeling any pain, and even today telling you that I don't feel any pain. What does that mean? Well, one thing it means, it was just so normal. This was normal conversation around my house. But my dad, I needed the affirmation of my father. And so when I entered adulthood, 
I carried within me a wounding in this area. I carried within me the father wound. So many of us carry the father wound. What a challenge for us fathers. Now, if we've already inflicted the father wound, and this often happens, a man comes into adulthood carrying the father wound and inflicts that wound on his children before he knows what he's doing. I've done that to my spiritual children. I've inflicted on spiritual children the wound that I got from my father. Something wounded my father. I don't know what it was. That's why I really appreciate and love and honor him. But it's just an example of how wounding, when we bring it into adult life, blocks our maturing. Inner wounding caused by sin, mine and those around me, blocks maturing. We enter adulthood not having yet grown up. So here's the question. Don't raise your hand. How many people here want to grow up? Anybody want to grow up? Well, here's the good news. Growing up is the same thing as becoming whole. Growing up is the same thing as being returned to the original state that God created us. He created us whole. Sin has made us unwhole. God wants to make us whole again. This happens in discipleship to Jesus. This is why Jesus came. This is what Jesus is all about. It's not just removing guilt. It's restoring us to wholeness. You say, well, George, what you're talking about right now, is this the ministry of reconciliation? You know, in a sense it is. Because the ministry of reconciliation is a ministry of healing. Reconciliation requires healing and results in healing. In a wounding caused by sin, we haven't grown up yet. Some basic needs of the child remain unmet. What are some of these basic needs? The foundational human need to be competently loved and affirmed. That's the foundational need. That's the need that is in us from our creation. We'll never come apart from that. That's the need that is in us because God created us to be part of the Trinitarian communion. We need to be loved. And we need to be affirmed. Now, it's crucial to see the difference between affirmation and flattery. Flattery is done with the motivation to manipulate. Affirmation is done with the motivation to love. So just think for a minute what it means to be affirmed. Somebody says to you, you know, I noticed that you did this, and I just want you to know I really, really appreciate you doing that, and it was very meaningful to me, and it blessed me, and I want to thank you for it. That is an expression of love, affirmation. We all need it. So there are two places where this should happen, primarily other places as well. First of all, in the family. The family is a place for affirmation to take place. And secondly, in the church. So what is the devil doing? The devil is out to attack God by attacking the image bearer. So the devil is at war against God. He can't win against God. So he turns his warfare against us. 
And so he creates wounds in us that cause us in turn to wound others. Wounded people wound people. So within the family and within the church, these wounds can be healed. But for them to be healed, we ourselves have to be healed. This is the process that we're all in. We're all in it. We're all in it. So you say, George, how do you know about the adult child? Is this, have you got a PhD in this? No, I know about it because I am and was an adult child. I think of the childish behavior that was in me. Some of it still is in me, no doubt. Not as much as it used to be, thanks God. But the childish behavior that I brought with me into my adult life, please do not ask Hannah about this. <laughs> it would be very embarrassing for me if you would do that. Point number six. A desperate search for competent love drives one to pseudo-solutions. So this actually is a description of humanity. We are desperately looking for competent love. And we're so desperate to have it, it's created within us, that we try things that don't work. We try things that only wound us further. One expression of this is self-centeredness, narcissism. It is truly an illness. The person who is self-centered starts every thought from him or herself, sees the world only as he sees it himself, cannot enter into somebody else's world, cannot understand how somebody else sees the world, cannot understand that my ideas may be different from another person's ideas and therefore have respect for that person whose ideas are different from my ideas. Self-centeredness. Now this shows itself in conversation. People who are self-centered have a hard time having meaningful conversations because they just talk about themselves. So if we have two people who are self-centered and both, all they want to do is talk about themselves, neither one of them are going to enjoy that. So self-centeredness. Another pseudo-solution, codependency. What is codependency? Codependency is the state where my well-being is dependent on your decisions. I can't control your decisions. So if my well-being is depending on your decisions, I'm going to be insecure. What does so-and-so think? What do other people in my church think? What does this person at my work think? What does my mother or father think? What, does my, what do my siblings think? What does somebody else think? How am I perceived? All of this is codependency. We are codependent. We are dependent on what somebody else is thinking and feeling. My emotions depend on your state of mind. Now that's bondage. What's the answer? The answer is for me to receive the love and affirmation that I need. Then I'm not, if you don't like me, it's okay. I bless you. You know, you have the right not to like me. That's your decision. I hope someday you do like me but it doesn't ruin my day. Okay, another pseudo-solution, the false of public self. What are you like in public? And what are you like when you are alone? And are they two different things? 
So the reason we have the public self is self-defense. I'm afraid of being known. I'm insecure. I'm not sure who I really am. I'm not sure if I'm okay. I actually think I'm probably not okay. So let me try to be something I'm not. Let me try to build up a public persona so that you will think I'm what I'm not, so that you will like me because I need you to like me so much. This is a pseudo-solution, the false self. So as Jesus heals us, what happens is the false self or the public self begins more and more to merge with the true self. So I am in public the same thing that I am in private. The role of a victim. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is so foundational to the adult child, the role of a victim. What is a victim? Oh, let me put it this way. If I am a Christian, if I know Christ, I am not a victim. How is that true? Because I have a father. And whatever you do to me, whatever decision you make to harm me, I have a father to whom I can go. Who is this father? He's all powerful. He's everywhere present. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of faithfulness. He's a God of understanding. He's a God that knows everything. He's a God of redemption. He's a God, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So this father that I have will pay you back. This is what forgiveness is. You've done something wrong to me. I'm going to turn you over to my father. I'm going to just let my father take care of you. So you better get ready because he's really going to zap you <laughs> because of what you did to me. And then I discover my father is being merciful to you. And now I'm mad at God. God, this is my enemy. You're supposed to be zapping them and you're being merciful to them. All right. I begin to learn a little bit more about the ways of Jesus. Love begins to be formed within me. Mercy begins to be formed within me. Healing begins to be formed within me because I learn that the answer to life is not vengeance. So I'm not a victim. The adult child is a victim. Everybody is against me. The government is against me. The medical system is against me. The taxes are against me. My neighbors are against me. People at work are against me. Even my own family is against me. The people in the church are against me. This is, the, this is the adult child. The role of a victim. I abdicate responsibility. You see, the adult, an adult person who is whole, who is complete, who is mature, who is being formed in the likeness of Christ, is able to respond effectively to whatever life presents. We're able to respond. We're not victims. This bad thing has happened. Okay, my choice now, how am I going to respond? How do I, where do I go to get the information how to respond? I go to Jesus. I follow his teaching. Jesus taught me how to learn to respond to life. We continue now in these pseudo-solutions. Blaming, shaming, and condemning. And see, my father, 
My father was trying to shame me. He actually told me that. You're too stupid to be insulted. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe he's partially right. In Matthew 5, Jesus dealt with all this so clearly. He dealt with murder. He dealt with anger. He dealt with contempt. They're all sins of violence against other people. So blaming, it's Hannah's fault. That works really well. <laughs> I had this problem, and it's Hannah's fault. If she had just done this, that, or the other thing, it wouldn't have happened. Blaming, shaming, condemning other people. When people behave this way, what shall we think? There's one thing I want to give you permission to think. When people blame, shame, and condemn somebody else, this is one thing we can say. They did not learn that by being with Jesus. Whether they're Christians or not, I can't say that. But I can say this. They didn't learn that from Jesus. They are repeating behavior that didn't come from Jesus. Competitiveness. Now, isn't competitiveness a really good American value? And shouldn't we be competitive? Why would I want to compete with somebody else? The reason is I want to be better. Why do I want to be better? Because I need love. I don't need to compete with you. Whatever it is we're doing, we both can do it. And... Who's to say who's better and who's not better? If you're better than I am in this area, I might be better than you in this area. But as people, we're both equal in the eyes of God, created in his image, bearing his likeness, recipients of his love. So I don't have to compete. I don't have to be better than somebody else. I don't have to have more degrees than somebody else. I don't have to have more money than somebody else. I don't have to have a better car than somebody else. I don't have to have a better church. Is Christchurch Anglican the best church? Should everybody come to Christchurch Anglican because this is the best church? Lord, deliver us from that. We're not the best church. We are part of the body of Christ that meets in all kinds of different places in the city and in the world. We are beautiful. We are wonderful. But we're not better than anybody else. Or if we think we are better than anybody else, better leave that to Jesus. Let him decide who's better. And he, he may not even want to think that thought. Block out. What is block out? Block out is a response to pain where I say, I just don't want to feel the pain anymore, so I just block out. The problem with block out is that part of us dies. Part of our thoughts die. Part of our emotions die. We become obtuse in certain areas. We're not thinking about it. We're not aware of it. Block out. Addiction. Talk about sin being rooted in our lives. What is addiction? Addiction is a behavior that I learn to use to block out, and I use it so often it becomes a habit. So all the different kinds of addiction. A pseudo-solution for escaping pain. Workaholism. The activity, the workaholism in our day, is it not an addiction? The, the cell phone? You know, do you go to a public place? Restaurant. How many people looking at their cell phone? 
In, in Europe, we travel the train in the train station. How many people on the train? How many people in the cell phone, cell phone, cell phone, cell phone, cell phone. Now, I have a cell phone. I use a cell phone. I'm not saying bad cell phones. But there is an addiction. Business, 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 business. More money, more success, do more things. I really should do this. I should see this person. I should go to that meeting. Meetings. Christians have meetings. Have you noticed that? <laughs> meetings. Be careful with workaholism. Chemical dependency, internet, sex, gambling, etc. Addictions. An activity that allows me to escape. But the problem is the escape is only temporary. It's only a temporary escape. The real escape is to be transformed. The real escape is for the pain to be healed. The real escape is for the behavior, the power of the behavior to be broken. The real escape is for Christ to be formed in the inner life. But to do that, we have to take Jesus seriously. We can't scoop him up as we're going to another meeting. We have to rearrange our schedules. We have to be with him, learn to be with him. Being in his presence heals us. Okay, the answer. We've got five minutes. The answer, restore the indispensable relationship. We learn how to come present to God and live there. John 15, 4. I mean, Jesus is so clear, isn't he? I mean, you don't need, you know, an advanced degree to know what he means. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You know, in our area of Germany, there are vineyards. The Romans brought wine to what is now Germany. So they've been there a long time. And you can see the wine growers, they you know, trim the vines in the fall. And in the spring, the new buds start coming out. And the buds grow into limbs or branches. And the time comes when the branches bear grapes, full of grapes. But in order for the branch to bear fruit, it has to be connected to the vine. So Jesus said, you know, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Abiding in God's presence, we experience the high value that he feels for us. You know, I can stand here and tell you that God treat you with the highest value. That's worth something. But let me tell you what is irreplaceable. You hear God say that. Have you ever heard your father say, I love you, and know that your father has said it? And then you have you heard him say it the next day? And then have you heard him say it the next day? That's how we are healed. Our relationship with God, it can't just be words. You can't just say, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Or you say, tell me your testimony. Well, I had a relationship with Jesus. How deep is the relationship? How meaning is the relationship? Do you ever talk to each other? Because that relationship where we hear our father say, we experience our father say, George, I love you. George, you just messed up. 
but I still love you. And my love for you is just as strong as it's ever been. Repent and receive my forgiveness. Immersed in God's acceptance and love, we begin to be healed. Healing removes blockages. We mature increasingly into wholeness. Our true humanity is restored. Behold, I make all things new. Wholeness is our true humanity. We were created whole. Sin damaged us. Jesus came to make us whole again. It happens in a relationship with him. It's more than words, but that's experience. Let's pray together. Sometimes in a talk like this, things come to our mind. People come to our mind. Pain comes to our mind. Jesus is here. He's walking among us. He's inviting us. Come to me. Bring me your sin. Bring me your pain. Bring me your need. I love you. I'm here for you. I will walk with you. I will teach you. I will bring you home. Jesus is here. Would you like to say something to him? At Quellen, we strive to create meaningful resources that tell the story of Jesus and inspire healing, restoration, and reconciliation. Recently, we launched the Happening Now section on our website. It's here that we're inviting you to learn more about our current projects and possibly consider helping us reach our fundraising goals. As of this recording, we're 92% of the way funded on our project to co-publish the German-language edition of Thomas and Amy Cogdell's new book, Unity Through Repentance, The Journey to Wittenberg 2017. And soon, we're announcing an exciting new documentary project. If any of this sounds interesting to you, learn more and consider donating to our continued efforts by going to quellen.org. That's Q-U-E-L-L-E-N dot org. George, in today's teaching, you touched on some of your story and your experience with uh, childhood wounds. Um, at what point in your journey did you realize that these things were affecting your growth? You know, Micah, it took a long time. Uh, I didn't really begin to understand that until I was in my 40s. Mm. And I had experienced, on the one hand, a lot of fruitfulness in Christian ministry, but on the other hand, I had experienced some really painful things. Mm. And the pain, uh, by the grace of God, uh, was used by him to confront me with my need. Mm. So it was a slow process, uh, mid-40s, 
that I really began to connect with my need. Mm. Denial is a powerful thing. Yeah. So, so what did your process of, of healing look like in that journey? Well, I, I became increasingly aware of my need. I would uh, get up first thing in the morning and go out to McDonald's and get a cup of coffee and sit there and journal. Wow. I just had to get things out so wow. inside of me that I didn't even understand. Hmm. And then, uh, in addition to that, I uh, read uh, particularly the works of Dallas Willard and Leanne Payne, those two authors. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was another one. Mm. But getting deeply into their work, and it wasn't just a question of reading. Mm. It was a question of going deeper, going over and over what they were teaching, taking notes on what they were teaching, to uh, so that the truths of what they were teaching got deeply into my thoughts and emotions. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that also led me into spiritual discipline. So I've got to just mention Richard Foster as well. He's another author that was incredibly helpful to me. Wow. Okay, so let's, let's kind of, uh, like we always try to do, take this practical. And uh, what would you say to anyone who's listening to this who, who might be, you know, on their own journey of discovering areas in their life that need healing? Well, I would say that the number one thing to keep in mind is to make Jesus your master teacher in all of life. Mm. All kinds of advice out there, including with Christians. Mm. You know, I just uh, heard yesterday somebody teaching about, you know, Braveheart, follow him, or, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, follow him. So there's all kinds of messages that come to us, including Christian messages, that have all kind of what sounds like good advice, but they're not rooted in the actual wisdom of Jesus. So I would say the fundamental thing is, absor is uh, uh, absorb the foundational teachings of Jesus. And then the second thing I would say that's so important, of course, we get this from Jesus, learn how to live increasingly in God's presence because it's in, in God's presence, the actual experience mm. of being in God's presence that healing begins to take place. Thank you for listening to The Writing Room by Quellen International. This episode was scripted by George Miley and me, Micah Daly. Production, editing, and original music by Micah Daly. The teaching excerpt used in this episode was recorded in 2016 at Christ Church Anglican in Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs>